Um, how many of you guys like to travel? Is there anybody here who likes to travel? Okay, most of you guys raised your hands. How many of you guys prefer to go by plane versus car? How many plane people? How many of you car people? There's a few hands up for car people. Now, now you see, I grew up traveling. My parents, uh, we didn't have a lot of money, so we didn't fly anywhere back in the 80s when I grew up, 1980s. So we would take, we had a Toyota uh, minivan, and we would drive all across the United States in our minivan, family of six and uh, we didn't have room, uh, money for hotels and stuff like that, so we would, we would take our camping gear, and as we traveled, we would stop in campsites, and we, we would camp, and that's where we spent the night. We, we didn't have money to go out to eat uh, back then. I don't know why we couldn't afford McDonald's or anything like that, but we couldn't. So we, like, we had a camping stove. We would stop at the rest stops, and, and we would sit there, and we, they'd pull out their camping stove and pat pack lunch boxes and, and, and things like that. And that's how we traveled across the United States. And, and that, that, that journey, that life has, 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 is still in my soul, okay? I, at drop of the hat, you ask me to go somewhere, I'm there. I love to explore. I love to experience new places and new things. I, I love to try different restaurants and different coffee shops. Now, let me ask you another question. Is your favorite destination mountains or beaches? How many of you guys are beach people? You live in Durban. If you don't like the beach, move somewhere else, right? How many of you guys are mountain people? Isn't that the great thing about Durban? You can, you can be at the beach in one moment, and in a couple hours, you're up in the mountains. It's, uh, you can't get this everywhere, guys. Recently, my family, like I said, we got here in August, September, we decided to go on this epic road trip. Okay, I decided to go on this epic road trip. Let me rephrase that. And we drove from here to Cape Town. Well, I didn't want to go the quick route. I decided, hey, we got to do the garden route at least once, right? So we drove through the Eastern Cape, and we drove through the Western Cape, and we did that whole thing. And then from there, we drove to Namibia. And everybody talked about how great the garden route is and how much you have to do that. And we did that, we were like, huh. It's not that it was bad, but how different is it really than Durban? I mean, it's not that much different. So you get spoiled living in a place like Durban and thinking, I got to go somewhere else, right? How many of you guys, like, you want to go to the United States, you want to go to Europe, Thailand, wherever? I mean, you just want to go. That's me, okay? I, I, again, I just tell me when and we're going. See, I brought my backpack uh, today because, because today we're going to go on a journey. And I brought some items that, that I bring no matter where I travel, okay? I'm going to show them to you here in a minute. Whether I go by plane or car, these items go with me. You see, as we wrap up 2023 and we go into 2024, you take this season, you reflect on the year that, that we just finished or finishing up, right? And you start looking forward to to next year, 2024. Some of you guys are ready for 2023 to end. Pastor Randy already asked that. Some of you guys are like, man, 2023 has been pretty good. Some of you guys, it's like, whoa, it's way better than 2020, which we thought was the worst year ever. And some of you guys aren't looking forward to 2024 because you don't know what it brings. Now, the other thing about me is, is I really like, like sci-fi and those type of things, Star Wars or, or things like that. And I've always wondered what it'd be like to time travel. Anybody else ever think of these type of things? What would it be like? Like what time in history would you go back to? 
Some of you guys that go back to the times of like, like the medieval times and nights. Some of you guys say, forget the old times. I want to go to the future. And you want to go live where cars fly and stuff like that. Now, growing up, I thought by 2023, 2024, we'd be in flying cars. That's what everybody told me. We're not. We can't even figure out how to power an electric car properly. I don't know. And we, we, but truth of the matter is we are traveling through time every day. We have fresh goals. Maybe we call them resolutions that we will keep for maybe two weeks this next year. Putting this end, year to end, and looking to next, hoping that it'll be better. J.R. Tolkien, one of my favorite authors, he wrote in uh, The Lord of the Rings, not all who wonder are lost. I used to actually have that as a sticker on my computer. In fact, I was trying to get Emma to watch The Lord of the Rings with me yesterday, um, but it's like a three and a half hour movie, and that's just part of it, and she didn't want to do it. Um, but one of my core values in life is that it's not the destination that matters, but the journey that it takes to get there. Now, you got to understand something. When it comes to values, and you've heard Pastor Randy talk about this before, values that, that don't actually change our actions aren't really values. They're, they're just goals. They're just ideas. They're just, man, I'd like to do that, but they're not really a value I hold dear, you see, because values change in, in how we make decisions. In fact, I would define values as, as the expression, the uniqueness of a Christ follower's journey and a set of core convictions and lessons. And we get those lessons and convictions by the things we go through in life. Now, now I taught a class once here at North Place. And in fact, uh, Larissa uh, was talking to me about it just the other day. And, and it, was, it was this idea of looking at our past and how God has shaped us and, and how that defines our values on how we live. We called it focused living. We had this whole exercise that we did uh, to, to kind of just define values and who we are. Now, now again, I told you I brought some stuff that, that I travel with wherever I go. Now, now so, some of you guys are going to laugh at this, okay? That's all right. How many of you guys are coffee people and how many are tea people? Are there, who, who are the tea people in this room? People raising their hand. How many of you guys are coffee people? You guys are my people. So typically, I'll have a flask with me. This is a bigger one than I normally travel with, but I do typically carry some type of water bottle or something for water. Um, let's see, what else do I have? I'm going to open up my side of my bag, get this out. This is, this is my coffee kit. This literally will go with me wherever I go. I don't need this anymore. Uh, this is just coffee stuff. And this isn't all my coffee. I got a lot of coffee stuff, okay? I mean, I have about 20 different ways I can make coffee at my house. So I'm going to move this up a little just so you guys can see it. So this is coffee. I, I travel with coffee. I actually have a cupping spoon. This is called a cupping spoon. And, and Emma gave me this for Christmas one year. And I travel with it because you never know when a coffee tasting is going to break out. You just never know when it's going to happen. You're going to need a spoon. <laughs> so you can slurp the coffee and, and taste it properly. So you can aerate it and stuff like that so it, it hits your tongue properly. I have a coffee scale I travel with because every way I make coffee is, is you have to have a, a scale to measure your beans. So anytime I make coffee, you'll see me measuring my coffee beans. I have a, I have a, I have a kettle that I travel with, because you gotta, you gotta pour your water, you get, you know, into your coffee-making device. Actually, I have two different coffee-making devices. 
This, is, this makes like a V60 pour-over type thing that one does. This is an AeroPress. An AeroPress is, is possibly one of the most versatile ways to make coffee right here. Um, so that, that's an AeroPress. I have a coffee grinder because the only way to properly drink coffee is to grind it fresh every time you, you drink it. So you got to travel with a coffee grinder. I actually gave one to Pastor Ben once. Uh, I don't even know if you still have it. And then I have coffee. I, again, I have coffee. I, I pre-measured some coffee already. Um, who, who, I mean, who, some of you guys raise your hand. Who wants a cup of coffee today? <laughs> now, you, it'll be black, and I'm going to need your help, okay? Whoever comes up first, I'll give you a cup of coffee here in a minute. Bring a phone, because I'll need a timer. All right. Come on, Boosie. So, like I said, I already measured the coffee. This is hot water today just because I, uh, I did it. So what I need you to do, I already set the grinders. You see, you got to set the grind by, you have to decide how you're making the coffee before you set your grinder to, to tell you what you're doing. So I'm going to have you grind coffee. So just grind that till it's done. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm going to pour some water. It takes a little bit of muscle. I know you have it, Lucy. So I'm going to pour my, I brought hot water too today. That's why I have such a big flask today. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's done. No, it's not done. <laughs> but you really don't have to. I actually have some already ground for this. So you can stop grinding. I was just messing with you. <laughs> was that mean of me? So, here, you want to smell it? Smell that. Now, this coffee, this is a special coffee. It's Wilton. It's a Sudan Ruma. It is from Colombia, okay? So, it was processed in some funky way. So, you've got to like coffee to really like this coffee. So, what we're going to do, all right, you got your timer? So, I'm going to ask you to set a four-minute timer. We're going to get this going. All right, you can, yeah, you can start. Now, you don't have to stand up here for four minutes if you don't want to. Just so you don't have to. I was just messing with you about having to grind coffee. If you want to sit down, I'll bring you coffee here in a second. But, but we're going to, I've never made coffee in church. I've made coffee a lot of places. I've made coffee on airplanes as we travel across the world, stuff like that. Uh, so... Just tell me when the four-minute timer goes off, okay? And uh, we'll, we'll finish making the coffee. And then you can have a cup. Now, now, now you got to understand something. Coffee is like the most, to me, it's one of the most complex things in the world. And after God and my family and friends, coffee's like the thing I pursue. I, I, I'm pursuing the perfect cup of coffee. I mean, I'm looking at coffee varieties. I'm looking at coffee processing. I'm looking at flavor notes of coffee. I, I, when I travel, I actually have a list of the top coffee roaster in every state in America. So all 50 of them. And, and when I travel, if I'm anywhere close, like within an hour close, <laughs> I'm stopping and trying to figure out a way to get to that coffee roastery so I can try this coffee roastery. I have a list of coffee roasters in cities I've never been or maybe will never go because I want to go and try what's supposed to be the best coffee. And the truth of the matter, I don't know if you realize how complex coffee actually is. 
It's, it's, it's actually one of the most complex flavor notes and profiles. There, there's actually 120 different types of coffee trees. Did you know this? 120. The most well-known variety is Arabica and Robusta. In fact, they just discovered a, a new coffee tree, type of tree, in Mozambique recently. But you have to understand something. My journey into coffee, this dark hole that I, I, I'm in now, didn't start overnight. I didn't start drinking coffee till I was about 30 years old. I used to meet my friends at, at a coffee shop every single week on Tuesday mornings. There was five guys, or four guys, I was the fifth guy. We'd meet every single week and do kind of accountability, life stuff, things like that. And I would go in and I would order strawberries and cream because I didn't drink coffee, because I thought it was gross. It's like a, a strawberry milkshake almost, right? Then we moved to... Uh, I started to drink coffee, and it wasn't great coffee, but I started to drink coffee. And, and one reason why I didn't like coffee is because of the type of coffee my dad drank. He was in the military growing up, and, and his coffee was like the type you could stand your fork or your spoon in and it not fall over type coffee. So I didn't drink it, and then I started to drink coffee, and I put milk and sugar in it, anything I could to, to hide the flavor of what coffee is. And then we moved to Tanzania in 2011. And we moved to this area called Mbeya, and Mbeya is a region and a, a city in western Tanzania, kind of close to Malawi and Z, uh, Zambia. And while we were there, I would actually go to the coffee farms. It was one of the top coffee-producing areas of, in, in, in the country of Tanzania. In fact, we had coffee trees in our yard. I would go to the coffee farms, and I'd buy my coffee fresh, hand-roasted. I'd get like three or four kilos of fresh coffee for uh, 350 rand. And, and, I, and when I did a lot of traveling in Tanzania as well, and as I traveled, anywhere I go, they had hot water, but they, all they would serve you is instant coffee. Now, if you drink instant coffee, hey, that whatever, I'm not going to judge you. Okay, I'll judge you a little. No, I won't judge you. Um, all they, they would have instant coffee or they would have tea, but the tea was so sweet and so hot, it would scald your mouth. So, so... I actually put on my, my wish list for Christmas. I put it out on Facebook, and, 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 and I said, hey, I found this coffee kit. I, this is what I want for Christmas and my birthday. And one person, somebody in America actually bought it and sent it to me uh, in Tanzania, and that's how I started to travel with coffee. Time's up. Okay, so we'll get back to that here in a second. So, so I moved from there, and, and we start, hey, we're, we're looking at going to South Africa. Pastor Randy had... We were talking, hey, we're going we to go plant this church in the city called Durban. And uh, I was really trying to figure out if this is what, what we should do. And we were praying. We were seeking God. And uh, one of my questions, and I was afraid, is that South Africa wouldn't have good coffee. I didn't know. I don't know anything about South Africa, right? Now, that wasn't a deal breaker for me, okay? It's not like that's why I was making the decision I was making. But it was a concern. I'm just, just being honest, it was, I, was, I was curious. Little did I know that South Africa has some of the best coffee roasters in the world, yeah. international baristas that, that are competing on the world stage in barista competitions. I actually have gone to a couple of the competitions here in Durban uh, just to watch. Right before we left, I actually almost, uh, when we moved back to the States, I almost uh, entered a, an AeroPress championship competition. I didn't. Um, but I almost did. It would have been fun. Maybe while I'm here, I'll do it. 
It's so bad that beyond drinking coffee, I actually read books on coffee. I, I watch YouTube videos on coffee, how to make coffee, how to, how to, I have devices so I can figure out the perfect extraction of coffee when I make it, so I don't know, so I know if it's under-extracted or over-extracted. I became a member of the Specialty Coffee Association here in South Africa. Did you even know there was one? I've taken courses on being a barista, on the sensory experience of coffee, describing coffee flavors and notes and aroma, those type of things. And, and it's all because that coffee bean is such an, a, a complex thing. And the truth of the matter is, throughout the entire process, the journey of coffee, from it to go to a tree to your cup, there's all types of ways that can mess up the flavor of coffee. Now, now, now think about it. A coffee bean is, it's actually a cherry. It's a fruit that is grown on a tree. And at the perfect ripeness, people come along and they pick that cherry off that tree. They wait for it to, to become red. And, and typically it's red. There's other colors as well. But typically it becomes bright red and they come in and they, they pick it off and they, they dump it in a basket and they take it and they start sorting it out and they, they start processing the, co the coffee. It goes into a machine that takes the, 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 the flesh off the coffee cherry, the bean, uh, the seed, and, and, and then they place it, they wash off the mucilage and they place it on a bed to dry off the, the seed. The next step is that they're sorted and bagged, and once they're bought, they're shipped to whatever destination the roaster is, and they arrive at the roaster. And at this point, it's roasted between 180 and 250 degrees for seven to 20 minutes, depending on the level of roast that they want. And after that, you don't even have a cup of coffee yet. In any one of those processes, it could change the way the, the, the coffee bean will taste. You see, then you must grind it and brew it. And it brings out a whole nother set of options. How am I gonna brew it? Do I make a pot of coffee? Do I do a manual brew? Do I do an espresso? And you have to make this decision before you even grind it. Because the grind size and the amount of coffee and the amount of water varies depending on how you're making the coffee. And I don't know where you are in life today. We, 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 we sung a song that, that uh, some of us sing when we sing it with victory, and it's, I sought the Lord and he answered. And I'm going to pray. That's why I praise it. But how many of you guys have ever been in a season where you've sought the Lord and he hasn't answered? where you've been praying and you've been seeking God and you feel like he's silent and, and maybe you're singing that song today declaring in faith that I sought the Lord and he's gonna answer, but he hasn't answered me yet. And I want you to imagine that you're a, a coffee cherry today. I know that sounds odd, but you're at the perfect fruit and ripeness and all of a sudden you're ripped off your comfortable living of this tree and you're starting to be processed. You get put in a machine and it rips your flesh off. You, you get dunked in water until everything you thought you were changed. And from there, you're sorted. And, and some beans aren't any good, so they get rid of them. Some of them are perfect, and they go for a lot of money. The, the most expensive cup of bean went for uh, $280 for a pound of green coffee. And when you roast coffee, it loses about 50% of its volume. So that's an expensive cup of coffee. It was bought by some people in the United States. The variety was a geisha coffee. It was out of 
Panama, actually. But where are you at in that stage? Are you at the stage where you're being ripped off what you thought was your life? Are you at the stage where you're going through a machine and you're being processed? Maybe you're, you're at the stage where, where you're just being left alone to dry in the sun and bake and you think, God, I'm all alone and I'm just withering and dying. Maybe you're at the stage where, where you've been picked and you've been sorted and, and you've been shipped and, and all of a sudden you're in a fiery furnace and you don't know when that's gonna end. See, the Bible's full of stories like this. Pastor Randy recently finished up a sermon series called Dreamer, and it's the story of Joseph. If you haven't listened to that, you haven't heard that series, I would encourage you to find it on YouTube or the podcast and give it a listen. And it's the story of how, how God used these things in his life to, to, to fulfill a dream he had years ago and how it changed him and how he grew through these different trials and these different seasons and these different things that happened to him. You see, there was a guy in, in, in the early New Testament church named St. John of the Cross, and he called it the dark night of the soul. Moses, he spent 40 years in the desert. Elijah thought he was all alone, and, and he was in ruin. He ran, and he had death threats, threats on his life from the queen at the time. Jesus, he spent 40 days fasting and praying in the desert while being tempted by Satan. Later on in life, he, he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to his crucifixion, and he's, he's in such stress that it says that, that drops of blood were sweating from his brow. And he's saying, God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Just hear the pressure that he was going on. Paul, the apostle who wrote the most books in the New Testament, he, he, after he was saved and blinded and, and he received his sight, he actually went to, he says in Galatians chapter one, that he tells us he went to Arabia for three years, not doing ministry, not doing anything, but studying the word of God all by himself. You see, I'm not sure what season of life you're in, if it's a dark night of the soul, if it's a time where you feel like the pressure's too much, but you seem spiritually dry and alone. You might be walking through a season where you said, I've prayed, I've given everything I have, and I can't get to it. I'm not finishing. See, David walked through these seasons. One of the reasons why I love David, if you read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you see the life and the story of David. We're introduced to him uh, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And, and you gotta know the backstory. Saul was anointed king. He was picked by the Israelites of all the people. He was rejected by God for disobedience. And God was ready to anoint a new king to rule over Israel. So he sends his prophet Samuel to Bethlehem to the household of Jesse to anoint a new king. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses six and seven. And it says this, when they came, he called the sons to him. Jesse invited his sons. When they came, he looked at Elam and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or the height or the stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God, the Lord, looks on the heart. You see, as Samuel's picking a new king, we learn that God cares more about your heart than he does your outward appearance. 
He cares more about your relationship with him than he does about what we do. But we get that mixed up, right? We come to church, we put on our best clothes. We make sure our drip is ready. I don't even know what that means, but I figured I'd throw it in there. Have our nice shoes on. (laughs) My daughters are shaking their head at me. You see, you got to understand, when the Israelites picked Saul to be their king, they found the best looking. They found the tallest. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 9, they chose him because of that. He was the most handsome man in all the land. It's who we all aspire to be. We can look at our Instagram reels and stories and, and, and who's popular, who are the influencers of our day. It's the Sauls of our day. Jesse ends up calling all seven of his sons to stand before him. And Samuel's like, these aren't it. You got anybody else? There was, of course, one more. The youngest, David, was out there doing the job that nobody else wanted in in the fields with the sheep. Actually, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, if you were a shepherd, you were actually unclean. He wasn't even allowed to go. If you read the story story in in, in chapter 6, excuse me, 16, if you read it, you actually realize that... uh, He consecrated them all because it was a holy moment. David, when he comes from the field, he's actually unclean. He's not even consecrated to be anointed. But it it says that he sent him and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful and eyes and, and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for that is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel, he left. Now, I'm not sure what God has called you to do. I don't know what, what, he, what your journey is going to look like, but I do know this. The Holy, you need the Holy Spirit wherever you're going. You got to get to where, 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 where you're following and he's leading and he's guiding your steps in your life. You see, as soon as David was anointed king, if you read in, in chapter 17, he, he goes to the palace, right? He had people waiting on him hand and foot. He, he married Saul's daughter and he had the perfect family. Life was good. He was putting it on social media, everything that was good about life. Isn't that the story that we all want? Now, if you know your Bible, you know none of that's true. What did David do? He went back to tending sheep. He was the anointed king and he goes back to doing what he was supposed to be doing. 90% of life is and a following God is showing up and being faithful to where you are at and not hurrying into the next season of life. Too often we want to go to what's next instead of being faithful to where we are. Church, going into 2024, be faithful to where God has planted you. Put down deep roots and let God bring you to the next season of life when he seems fit. What are you to do if you feel called to do something? Serve where you are and then allow God to move you into the next season. Be faithful where you are and see where God takes you next. You see, what we believe is that there was 15 years, 15 years where, where, when David was anointed king and when he actually became king, 15 years of serving, 15 years of running. Before he assumed the throne, most of those years weren't good years for David. He was running from his, for his life from King Saul. Yet it was in this season that David learned some of the skills and lessons 
that would lead him to his greatest victories. He went to the fields. Every day he tended sheep. He found them grass and water. He kept them safe. Nothing glorious, no highlight reels. He wasn't going out with his buddies in Mshlanga, putting it on Instagram with your friends, living that high life of, of the beach and all that. That's not what he was doing. It says in just the next chapter, David was the youngest in, in verses 14 and 15. The three eldest brothers followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. He just kept doing what he was doing. His dad told him to do stuff. He would have to go do it. And then in verses 33 through 38, Goliath came. You guys, we, we know the story of Goliath. One, this, this giant of a man was, was coming in front of the whole Israelite army and, 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 and defiling God and the Israelites, the people of God, a Philistine from Gath. And he said to him, you know what? And Saul said to David, David's like, man, I'll go take care of this guy, this joker. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when he came, a lion or a bear and a, took a lamb from the flock, and I went after him. I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and I struck him and killed him. David was a bad dude. He was grabbing lions and bears by the beard and killing them. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine? Saul didn't know what to do, so he said, all right, go and the Lord be with you. You see, David teaches us that in our seasons of obscurity, we learn the lessons that we need to have our greatest victories. You feel like you're all alone and God's saying, just listen and wait and let me teach you what you need to go to that next season. 15 years of running from Saul, 15 years of hiding in caves, living among his enemies, the Philistine, leading a small army of 600 men, wives becoming prisoners of war, multiple dimes. David has Saul in his hands where he could have killed him. He decides that he shouldn't because he was the Lord's anointed, so he can't harm the Lord's anointed, even though his friends told him to. David's life didn't get any better when he became king. He sinned, he committed adultery, he then murdered someone, his son dies at birth, his daughter Tamar was raped by her half-brother Amon. Amon was then killed by T T Tamar's brother Absalom. Absalom tries to become king and overthrows David's throne. David once again flees to the desert. Just because you're living your life and you're calling and pursuing God doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect, church. That doesn't mean things are going to be easy. It's not easy street. We think, God, I've given you everything. I, I come to church on Sunday. I might pray and read my Bible. I give in an offering. And God, why is my life so hard? David's life shows us that it's not going to be easy. There'll be struggles. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, that there will be trouble. But he also says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. How do you quit uh, overcoming struggles in this journey? I'm going to go over this really quick, but I'm going over it quick because we talk about this all the time. The, you, number one is keep pursuing God in your season of, of struggle. Don't stop pursuing God. Just 
that's the foundation, but, but get in God's word. You, you, you want to overcome the victories in your life? Get in God's word. Read the book of Psalms and see what David wrote. He, he, Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who delights in the laws of the Lord and meditates on them day and night. You see, you got to realize something. In the Old Testament, a lot of times when, 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 when they use the term blessed, and to be a blessing, getting a blessing from God, it's not about physical. We, we've twisted that in our church world today, thinking it's all about money, it's all about position, it's all about cars or houses or, or clothes. That's not what blessed is. In the Old Testament, blessed is having the presence of God in your life. You want to have the presence of God in your life and to live a life of blessing? Get in the Word of God. Spend time in worship. Spend time in worship, not just on Sunday mornings. Do it every day. Later on in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story where, where, where the, the, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. Chapter 6, they, they, they get the Ark back because the Philistines, it was destroying all their false gods. They get the Ark back and in, in chapter 6, and they put it in somebody's house. Well, 2 Samuel chapter 6, David's like, I got to bring it back to Jerusalem. I got to get the ark back to where it should be because that's the presence of God. And when he does, somebody touches it, he dies, and, and they get scared, so they put it in Obed-Edom's house, and for three months it stays with Obed-Edom, and God blesses, it says, his house because the presence is there. Verse 14, David says, all right, it's time. In, in 11, he, verse 11, he, he takes it from Obed-Edom's house and he starts taking it to Jerusalem. And it says, every, every few feet, he starts sacrificing an oxen to sacrifice before the Lord. And he starts dancing before the Lord in worship. And then a little bit later, his wife, the daughter of Saul, comes to him and says, man, you're acting a fool. What are you doing? And it's classic. He said, it was before the Lord is why I was dancing. He chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself more contemptible, some translations say undignified, than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. I'll be a fool in your eyes all day long to dance before the Lord. Engage in the worship, church. If you want to overcome the struggles in life, engage in worship. Join, not just in singing a song from a screen. Be, feel free to come forward and dance before the Lord. It's okay. Let be free in the spirit. And let me tell you, that's the hardest thing for me. I'm one of the most reserved people you'll ever meet, especially when it comes to expressive worship. That's just not who I am, but there's times and seasons where I got to get into it. And the number three thing to get over the struggles in your life is prayer. You say, Adam, I don't know what to pray. You know, one of the things I started to do in my life and in my, my daily 20, if you notice, read your Bible, worship, prayer. It's what we talk about our daily 20. It is I start praying the Psalms, these words that David wrote. Psalms 23, I actually quote Psalms 23 every single day. Psalms uh, 103, verses 1 and 2. I use those to, 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 to guide my, my heart and my soul, to, to, to prepare myself from hearing from God. One of the things I do, and it's not so much our tradition in, in, in the type of circle that we are, but I pray prayers of the church who were written down centuries ago. 
Because there's times I don't know what to pray. So I, I, I find these prayers and I, I, I pray those in seasons. Pray in your spiritual or your heavenly language that Paul talks about. Five minutes isn't enough if you start doing these things. The fourth one, of course, just like our daily 20, journal. Why, why journal? That's the hardest one for me. Um, but write your prayers down. Write down what you're praying. Write down your questions and frustrations. That's what the book of Psalms is. It's David saying, yo, God, do you know what's going on? Do you know about my enemies? Do you know what, what, what's happening? And I'm going to say, lastly, don't go about it yourself. You see, church isn't a spiritual journey. Your journey's not supposed to be, be in isolation. Your journey's to be together. That's why we have a church community, is so, that, so that we can journey together. There's things that I've gone through that, that some of you have gone through and you thought you're the only one. You're not. There's been times I, I, I look around this room and, and, and think of people we've prayed for, people that you care about. Times and seasons in your life where, where we've been seeking God that God would heal or God would touch. And God did. Other times we, we don't get the answer we want, but Go together. I want to conclude today just reading a psalm, actually. It's Psalms chapter 6. It's verses 1 through 10. We're going to read it. But I want you to realize something about this psalm. that They, they think, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written. It happened in one or two, two times. One of them was actually when, when uh, David was hiding in a cave from his son Absalom. And, 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 and if you look at the Hebrew and some of the Psalms and different things, so Psalms 6 through 8, they say it's the Psalms of the cave is what it says in Hebrew. We don't have that in English translations. But here's what he says. He says, O Lord, rebuke me, not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O my Lord, for I am languishing. Hear me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there will be no remembrance of you. And show who will give you praise. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes wa wastes away because of the grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, God. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and they shall be put to shame in a moment. I don't know where you are in your journey. I don't know what your prayer has been through this last year. But some of you, I feel like you're going into 2024 and this has been you. Every night you're crying yourself to sleep. You've been in pain. You've been in worry. You've been troubled. Your soul is in despair. Now, you come to church, you put on that mask, that good Christian church mask that we all learn to put on, where everything's okay. 
We, 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 we put on this mask and every, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, it's good. They don't really want to know. They don't want to know what I'm really going through. I got to hide that pain. I got to hide that, 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 that trouble. I got to hide my soul and what it really means. My prayer is today that you'll realize God has never left you or forsaken you. That even though you feel like alone, you're alone, God is here with you. Even though your prayer is not being answered, God has been right there with you waiting, taking you through this season of difficulty. Maybe you're here today and you say, Adam, I don't even come to church. But somebody wanted me to come with them. I'm telling you it's because God wants to have an encounter with you today. And maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And you've tried to do everything on your own. Today, God wants to build have a relationship with you. We're going to give you that opportunity here in a moment. We're going to have an altar time where you're going to have a chance to talk to Pastor Ben, and he's going to give you some information and pray with you. But also, maybe today you're saying, Adam, I'm in that season of of trouble. I'm in that season of difficulty. My prayers aren't being heard by God. At least that's what I feel. And and I'm in a season where, where, where I'm just not getting the breakthrough that I want. I sing that song, but I don't feel that, that I'm getting the answer because he's not answering me. We're going to have a time here in a moment where we're going to have our prayer team up. And if that's you and you just need to come and you need to dance before the Lord, let loose today. Get undignified this morning. It's okay. What are we going to think? We're going to think you need to hear from God and you need to be touched by God and we're going to cheer you on today. That's what we're going to do because we're a family at North Place, right? And no one walks alone. And maybe you need prayer. Maybe you already came up and you already sought God and, 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 and you already prayed with the people. You know what? It's okay to pray again and keep praying and keep knocking because God's going to answer.